everybody. It's uh, Sunday, January the 29th. Welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, this podcast is inspired by the podcast stylings of Bill Burr, who is one of my absolute most favorite comedians. If you listen to his um, podcast, he's a little rough. He sounds uh, <laughs> he sounds a little rough, but I think it's all the shtick he puts on, which I appreciate. Anyway, I'm here looking a hot mess. I just literally rolled out of bed. I've been struggling with a chest infection. I don't know where I got it. I don't know how I got it. It started with a sore throat. Usually when I get a cold, it lasts about four days. But since I had COVID back in April of 2022, um, everything just hits different. Nothing um, feels good. You know what I mean? Like, not that a cold should feel good, but usually I get over a cold relatively quickly. And I'm just really struggling with this cold right now. So uh, I wanted to come on here because um, I had a hard time sleeping last night. I had a hard time sleeping last night. And I'm really trying to be careful um, when I go on the interwebs today. If you haven't um, heard, and I can't believe you haven't heard, uh, a young man, 29-year-old man with a four-year-old son, 100 yards from his house, was murdered by five police officers, um, a police unit that uh, is some kind of special police unit in Memphis, Tennessee. And this man was bludgeoned um, to death, pretty much, tasered and beaten to death, 100 yards from his house, and uh, he was calling out his mother's name. Hmm. Where have we heard this before? And uh, so what I've noticed about this is I've been really careful not to see the video because I cannot watch another black person being murdered by the police in front of my eyes. I don't know for those of you who are not part of the global majority or who are not people of color. Um, it's hard for people of color to watch this stuff because we see ourselves in that situation, right? We see our sons, we see our fathers, we see our spouses, we see our um, our uncles, our aunts, anybody who's uh, important to us, we will see them in that situation or we will see ourselves in that situation. And that causes trauma. And what I absolutely cannot stand about the way this is being um, filmed is like we're watching this like it's something uh, to be gawked at. And it's a lot of what I hear people call trauma porn. Like, I don't know. It seems to me the world somehow gets off on watching this kind of thing and it's circulating. So I'm trying really hard not to watch the video because it'll be burned on my brain the same way George Floyd's murder was burned on my brain. And it's too much for me. I'm literally becoming exhausted. I have teenage boys and I was saying to my son, who didn't want to believe that black people murdered another black person. He says, no, I watched the video. And I'm like, why are you watching the video? I saw the video. It can't, it can't be true. It can't be true. And I said, it is true. And the reason it's true is it's not because of, it's not because of, Explaining to my son that the institutions that govern our world were created at the time of colonialism and are run by white folks under the guise of white superiority, superiority and white supremacy creates this idea that we're holding certain systems in place. So it doesn't matter how many black or indigenous people that you hire 
in these institutions, they're going to follow the rules of the institution, which are set in white supremacy and white superiority at since the beginning of time. You can have as many black judges as you want. You can have as many uh, black and indigenous people of color in the criminal punishment system. You can have all, it's not going to matter because they're trained and they're, they believe that they're upholding justice, which really is just punitive and uh, punishment that they're upholding. And you want to have folks in the criminal punishment system be the type of folks who aren't going to ask too many questions, right? So these people are specifically chosen um, so that they're not asking a lot of questions about the system. Because I think if they actually looked at the system that they're a part of and started to ask questions about why they're in policing, that they would see that policing is just an extension of white supremacy and designed to keep black and brown folks, people who are in the global major majority in line with white, what, what white supremacy teaches. So the fact that the, the five officers are black aren't surprising. The problem is um, they're blue first and black second, right? So white supremacy teaches us that we need to align and fall in place and be subservient to the powers that be. And that's what policing teaches police officers, in my opinion, that we want to have police officers whose critical thinking skills are, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, diminished so that they're not looking at or critically thinking about the cr criminal justice system. They're just really jazzed to carry a gun in the hopes that they get that they might get to kill somebody. This has been my experience. I'll tell you about a, a couple of um, situations I've had with police officers. Uh, when I first moved into this house with my husband um, in 2002, we had a housewarming party. And so we had a barbecue in our backyard. And I invited a good friend of mine at the time, and she brought a guy she was dating who was part of the OPP. And for those of you who don't know, I live in Ontario, and OPP stands for the Ontario Provincial Police. I like to call them the Ontario Party Poopers, but whatever. Um, <laughs> they, uh, he, she, she brought this guy to my house. So I'm greeting her at the door and he steps into the foyer and shoves me out of the way in my own house and proceeds to go up the stairs because he thinks he knows my husband. So he pushes by me at my own front door and then goes up the stairs and Alan's in the kitchen doing whatever he's doing, probably prepping stuff to take out onto the barbecue. And he starts talking to my husband and Alan's like, did you just push past my wife? He goes, yeah, I think I know you. I think we went to high school together. He goes, I don't know you, bro. And so that's the way the whole interaction with him started. So we're all sitting out on my patio in the backyard. Alan's barbecuing. I'm, you know, putting out food and whatnot. And he's sitting next to my friend bragging about being a police officer and how much he hates the public, how stupid the public is, how much he hates the public, how badly he treats the public. And he's going on, this is 2002, he's going on and on and on and on and on and on about, you know, and he's got this like sense of superiority. And I think we're all sitting there with our, our, our mouths agape because this person is just telling on himself 
Uh, you know, and I couldn't wait for him to go. And so um, my friend came up to the kitchen. He was downstairs bragging to the dudes that were listening to him on the patio or whoever was listening to him on the patio. And I was starting to bring plates up to the up to the kitchen. And my friend came up with the plates. I go, I hope the sex is really good because this guy's a huge dick. She goes, this is our first date. I don't plan to ever see him again. And I just thought to myself, yikes, I'm thinking... He was representative of what I have seen uh, in the police force. The, the interactions that I've had with the police in my neighborhood have been less than stellar um, because they really do sit in that space of superiority. They really do believe that they're doing something good. And I don't really see what good they're doing in my community, honestly. I would like to see some of the money that we use for funding the police to go back into the communities um, for mental health. Um, for social workers, for uh, finding housing for those folks who are unhoused and homeless. Um, I would prefer that that money be better spent on the community because if we take care of the community, we won't really have a need for over-policing. And that's where we are in the world, over-policing. And over-policing happens to black and brown bodies more so than anybody else. And for those people who want to say out there in the world, well, these were five uh, black police officers that killed Tyree Nichols. Um, no, they were part of the blue code because they are blue first and black second. They were blue first and black second. And the chief of police isn't very helpful either. I mean, their, her dismissing of this not being a racially motivated attack is ridiculous. And the reason um, that it is, is that she has a very limited understanding or a very basic understanding of uh, structural racism, even though she's black. So let me explain that. I didn't come into a full understanding of systemic and structural racism until about 20 years ago. And I had to do that unpacking and that whole conversation myself. So when I was 17 years old, I was invited by the Hamilton Peel Police Association to come sit in on a um, kind of like a town hall. They put us, not so much a town hall, they put a bunch of us in a room who are all people of color and they paid all of us $50. And to be clear, it was 1987. So $50 was, a, you know, seemed like a good amount of money. They paid us $50 and they had uh, somebody pose questions to us that we were going to answer so that they could get a better understanding about how the community sees them. And um, three black men, two black women, uh, and other people of color who were there, somebody who was indigenous from what I can remember. And we all had to introduce ourselves. And then I was invited to talk about the police after I had been pulled over numerous times by the police for driving my dad's car because, of course, it didn't look right or whatever it is. My dad talked about constantly being pulled over by the police because he was in a car that they felt he shouldn't be driving because he's black, that kind of bullshit. And just as a reminder to my listeners, I'm here in Canada, so this kind of bullshit happens in Canada too. I don't know why we think an imaginary line that separates our two countries are going to stop white people from being white and from colonialism to continue because we've all been colonized by Europe, right? So that white superiority happens everywhere, 
everywhere white people exist and black people exist and other people of cultures exist. It happens everywhere. So it's something that needs to be dismantled. It cannot be reformed. But we had to sit in on this whole conversation and talk about what it was like dealing with the police. And this was the Hamilton Peel um, police, who in, in Canada and Ontario, next to the Calgary police, are some of the worst offenders against people's civil rights and, and beating up people for no reason and taxpayer dollars going to defend them for their deplorable behavior, for racial profiling, injuring people. Uh, we have less of an issue of people being killed, um, police drawing guns here, because we don't have the gun culture that the United States has. So I don't think police are actually afraid of being shot in the same way that police in America are afraid of being shot. But there is this very much this... Um, idea that they're somehow holier than thou and that when we when they tell stories about how things happen that we should just believe them because they're police officers and somehow they're not human and they're not prone to making up stories or not telling the truth to save their own hide right it's always your word against theirs and their word is to be believed because they're wearing a blue shirt or whatever the hell it is people tend to believe about the police the police are human and they've been indoctrinated by the same white supremacy bullshit that the rest of us have been indoctrinated with. So why should we believe them above anybody else? If in all actuality, they have more of a reason to lie than the person that they've injured, killed, or maimed because they were afraid. And I put afraid in quotation marks because you chose this job. And if you're afraid of the general public, then you need to get out of this job. And I want to see decreased policing and more of that money invested back into communities for mental health, um, for housing, for education. We have been defunding education for the last 50 years. We have been militarizing the police for the last 50 years, and it's to the detriment of all of us, not only black and brown folks and other people of color, but white folks as well. White supremacy hurts all of us, and it killed, it killed Tyree Nichols. And the fact that five black police officers killed them doesn't mean that this is not a racist attack. Simply means that they are blue first and black second. And if you've ever met a police officer who believes in the blue code or is invested in their job, you can see how they stick up for each other, how it's not a few bad apples, but that the system is rotten to the core. And if you know anything about the history of policing, it started with slave patrols, okay? It started with slave patrols. It's an extension of that. So how can it not be racist when its whole foundational structure started in racism? That's something to think about. So I remember back when George Floyd was murdered and the whole world, um, protested that. And all of the people online were reaching out to me and my neighbors were leaving cookies on my doorstep. And I remember leaving the house after George Floyd was murdered and they burnt down the police station and the whole world was up in arms of everything that was going on in America. I remember going for a run and all the white people saying hi to me and going to the grocery store and having white people be extraordinarily nice to me. And I just thought to myself, this is odd. This is weird. So I went back home and hid out because it felt so strange. And I remember writing on social media, this will all pass. 
this is just a moment in time, like the civil rights movement, where we saw black and brown bodies being um, humiliated and dehumanized by being sprayed with hoses and having dogs um, brutalize them and having people beaten and all that stuff. I go, this is just a throwback. Every 30 years, we have a come to Jesus moment. This is just one of those come to Jesus moments, 30 years, right? Because if we go 30 years back from now, we have the 90s, and that would have been Rodney King. And if we go 30 years back from Rodney King, we would have had the civil rights movement. So every 30 years, we do this performative bullshit, or we have this wake up moment, or whatever it is people think they're doing. It lasts for about six months, and then everybody goes back to their lives, and everybody becomes exhausted by the continuation of the brutality that we were pretending to fight, but so many people were in my DM saying to me, Diane, this time it's different. This time we've learned something. This time it's not going to happen again. This time we're going to change laws. This time we're going to hold uh, police accountable. Well, Derek Chauvin got 22 years in prison, so I hardly think that's justice because he should rot in jail for the rest of his life. He murdered somebody who, um, who is deeply missed by their daughter and their family right? And he had a history of being brutal. So this was eventually going to happen. And I'm curious to see how many other black folks he's murdered. And here we are in 2023. And we just got statistics. I'm quoting the Guardian um, right now. And Bloomberg News that says, according to studies done in 2022, 2022 was the worst year for police brutality and murder of civilians. This is a full two years after the murder of George Floyd. So nothing's gotten better. It's actually gotten worse. So where are all those people who are like, I promised I am. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do better. Where are y'all now? Because a lot of this bullshit is all absolutely performative. Absolutely performative. So I want to know what's going to make it change. And as much as I sit here in Canada and Canadians like to believe we're above it all, we're not. We're equally as shitty. And like I said before in this podcast, why do you think an imaginary line between two countries is going to stop white people from being white? And I'm quoting Bill Burr on that one, actually. That's who said that initially. And I like to think him of him <laughs> as the whitest white dude because he calls him, he's a ginger. And he calls himself a white dude. So I'm quoting him specifically. Why do we think that's going to be any different? If we look at the genocide of Canadians and the continuation of digging up indigenous people at um, indigenous children at residential school sites, why do we think it's different here? I'd love to hear why you think it's different here in Canada if you're Canadian. So as I continue to educate my sons on how to deal with the police, especially since my oldest son has a sport car and he's going up north, which makes me scared um, for his well-being. My intention of well-being is to going to be sitting in deep reflection on what it is I want to do to protect my peace. I'm trying really hard not to see that video, and I'm just hoping people aren't going to be putting it in their feeds and sharing it all over the Internet, which is what we like to do. Um, and to continue to traumatize black people. And despite being constantly traumatized by the system, whether it's through microaggressions, macroaggressions, police murder, systemic racism, racism in the med medical system, being sabotaged by white people when we start to get a bearing, when we start to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we're ultimately sabotaged 
by white folks. And what do you mean by that? Well, the Tulsa massacre, um, Central Park, if you don't know anything about the history of Central Park, look it up. It used to be a black sentiment where people actually bought the land and had a thriving community until rich white folks wanted to expand the park and push everybody out, steal back their land and make Central Park the park that it is today. So every time we get ahead, we get sabotaged. We claw back voting rights, right? We um, make voting difficult for folks of color who actually want to change. It's been my observation of humanity in the past 10 years that black and brown folks and other people of color seem to vote for their communities. What's best for all of us and the majority of white folks, and let's Spare me, not all white folks, of course, not all white folks, but the majority of white folks and white culture is individualistic and continues to vote for their own best interests. And if you don't believe me, just look at the voting patterns of uh, white women over the last 20 years. That'll tell you everything you need to know because they've been consistently voting against their own rights because for whatever reasons, white women, and we know what the reasons are, their proximity to the patriarchy and power will always vote with their race first and their gender second to the detriment of all of us. And don't even come at me. Don't even come at me. I'm not here for it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care what your opinion is on this. This is my podcast and I'm having a rant today and that's how it's going to be. You consistently screw us over. You consistently set the women's movement back because you cannot play nice and you cannot see the bigger picture. Yes, not all white women, but enough of you. Enough of you let this shit go on. Enough of you benefit by this. Enough of you gain your power from this. Enough of you prop up the patriarchy for your own selfish needs. You need to be held to account. And for those white folks out there doing the good work, thank you. Don't become discouraged. I know it's easier to step out or turn the, the TV off or not participate, but we need you to show up. Because there's a whole lot of you who can't be bothered to show up for the rest of us. And the strange thing about it is we always show up for you without fail. Without fail. Because what I've noticed about the global majority is we care more about the community and less about ourselves as individuals. Not all of us. Not but most of us. So as I continue to grieve the death of somebody I haven't, I don't know, but I feel in my heart because when he called for his mother, all mothers everywhere felt that when your child calls for you a hundred yards from your house, just trying to get home to your family, to be beaten to death, beaten to death for no, for a traffic stop by five black police officers who are blue lives first. And what's also interesting is I don't hear the usual suspects coming up to defend these police officers. Where's your blue lives matter now? They are suspiciously silent. You became black real fast, didn't you? You see where that loyalty lies. If these were five white police officers, we'd be hearing a whole nother story. What happened before they pulled him over? You don't understand. Police officers have it so hard. The job is really stressful. Then quit. Don't do it. Nobody's forcing you to do this. You can change that shirt. It's a fucking shirt. Anyway, I'm in my feelings today. I apologize for my brass language and I don't. So for the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast today, I want you to sit in deep reflection. What does it mean to you 
to be white, black, or another person of color. What does that mean to you? How does that affect you in the larger context of the world? What does that make you see or do? How does that make you react or be? I want you to sit with that. And if you're interested, February 13th, my friend Anusha, professor at uh, San Diego State University, and myself will be doing a talk on allyship, action, showing up for communities other than yourselves. And this is the only thing I'm doing for Black History Month because I feel like it is pressured upon uh, the black community to teach white people about black history when it's our collective history. And you should really be doing your own research on that. You're more than capable. Enough of you started sourdough starter kits over the pandemic that you should be able to figure out how to use your computer to educate yourself. Okay. I'm certainly in a mood today, but you can join us for that conversation. Okay. The link is in my bio. It's all over my social media and it's on my, uh, it's on my website, dianbodyyoga.com. If you're interested in actually being the change we want to see in the world, sign up for that and let's have a conversation about the truth of who we are and how we do better, how we show up in community, because clearly we can't do that. Clearly we don't know how to do that. And as all these politicians continue to put more funding into policing, and starting to arm teachers in schools, because I don't know, mass shootings in school seems to be an everyday occurrence. The rest of us are going to suffer. We are going backwards, everyone. And it's fucking scary. I thought the 21st century would be better than the 20th, but I'm beginning to think that humanity has lost the ability to evolve. All right, that's it for me. I've got to go teach a yoga class, but um, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Please put it in the comments below. Just so you know, this podcast is sponsored by my Patreon page. You can join me on Patreon for continued education around racism. I do yoga classes on there. We have conversations on there. You can come join me on the Patreon. And uh, you can uh, please rate, subscribe, follow to the podcast Thanks, everyone, for being here, and I will catch you next time. Please stay intentional with your well-being.